So there's hope. There's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> He'll be, uh, so Jim and the family will be back in service next week. I'll be preaching, but it'll be a great opportunity to say hi to them, ask how things went, and uh, you know, just give them encouragement. Um, so we're going to be preaching out of 1 Thessalonians 5 verses, who? Norma? <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that, guys. But let's wait two, two more weeks, and, and then we can decide how, how good it is. Uh, so uh, we'll be turning 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Uh, it's going to be a little bit shorter this week. Um, if, uh, if anyone has read ahead, they'll realize that this is, this is not something personally. I, you know, I looked at this and was like, can I skip it? <laughs> And uh, when, when we get into the message, some of you will be like, oh, I understand now. Um, this is the beauty of preaching through entire books of the Bible. You have to deal with the things that make you feel a little uncomfortable inside. Uh, and, and in this case, uh, you know, talking about uh, my own physician, Jim's position. Um, and so uh, realize, ultimately, if I, if I had my way, I would have skipped this, but God had a different way of doing this, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present his word faithfully. Uh, so how many of you have read through the book of Numbers? And, uh, and if you haven't raised your hand, uh, it's a great book to read all the way through. Um, but if, we, if you think about the book of Numbers uh, from a leadership standpoint, it is a nightmare. Right? Essentially, the book is punctuated by a series of, of complaints from the people of Israel to Moses saying, why in the world did you bring us out here? We would rather be back in Egypt. And, and Moses, acting as God's man, delivering God's message, says, you've got to believe me, your freedom and God's promises are far better than the slavery and the, the, the sure uh, sureness of your life in Egypt. But if you think about it from uh, Moses' perspective, you know, that's pretty hard. All I have to offer you is promises. I don't have any, you know. And so and it's a leadership nightmare. And I think Paul, uh, looking here in this passage, understands uh, the nightmare of leadership. Uh, it, particularly spiritual leadership, but he also wants to admonish the people uh, in a way that at the point of Moses and Numbers was uh, unable to be done, right? Uh, as Christ has renewed the hearts of the people, well, now their, their ability to grasp God's promises are so much greater than those in Israel. So let's read through uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So before I get into this, I want to kind of uh, paint a, a very general picture of leadership in the church. Um, so if you want to turn with me to Acts 
chapter 14. We'll be reading uh, verses 21 through 23. Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 23. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so we see uh, Paul was going out, he was making disciples of people, but prior to his departure from these churches, he he says, well, I'm not going to leave you by yourselves, I'm actually going to appoint leaders in your stead, in in his stead. And so uh, through prayer and through fasting, they committed men to the Lord who were going to be leading these people. And so the first thing that we see about leadership in the church is that it's appointed. And it's appointed through this prayer and fasting and committing them to the Lord, but ultimately it's appointed. And so we see uh, the process of of gaining a leader. And now let's look at the criteria of leadership. Uh, Turn with me just briefly to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3. And uh, Timothy is a letter from Paul again, uh, so the writer, or one of the writers of Thessalonians, and he's writing to a young man named Timothy, who happens to be uh, one of these kind of leaders in the church. And in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, he is uh, giving two offices of leadership for the church. So we see in verse 1 of chapter 3, He talks about the office of overseer. And in verse 8 of chapter 3, he talks about this office of deacon. And so he's spelling out, here's your leadership structure for the church. And then underneath uh, both verse 1 and verse 8, he goes on to explain the criteria for these leaders. And uh, I'm not going to read it all here, because that's a different sermon, I would, I would totally uh, recommend that, one, you read this, and two, you think about, ultimately, how is leadership appointed in the church and ultimately what they're supposed to be doing in the church, because I think that uh, this helps clarify uh, that. Uh, but the general characteristic of all of the things that Paul spells out to Timothy in this list, it, it's about character. So the leader is supposed to have a particular character. Uh, He's supposed to be the sort of man who could dispense the word of God. And so uh, we learn two things very very briefly about leadership in the church, right? So it's, it's appointed and it's based on a certain type of character. And so now we can, we can finally return uh, back to our passage in Thessalonians. Thessalonians chapter 5. So based on these two things, we can assume that when Paul left Thessalonica, 
in some way, shape, or form, uh, he probably appointed a leader. And how can we assume that? Well, he's already, he's talking about how you're supposed to treat your leadership. So he knows in his mind, someone there is already a leader. Uh, and, and so uh, it might have been appointed by him, or maybe after he left, the church got together, prayed and committed someone to this leadership. But uh, whatever happened, now he's talking about, this is how you're supposed to treat your leader. So the first thing we hear, and so we're going to hear him plead with this congregation for two things, right? In verse 12, we hear that he pleads that they would respect their leaders. And then in verse 13, that they would esteem their leaders. And finally, the ultimate end of both of these things is that there would be peace in the church. And so if we were to make, you know, a big idea, Paul is saying, if you respect and esteem your God-given leader, ultimately there will be peace in the church. And so we're thinking, we like that third thing, so let's concern ourselves with the first two things, and hopefully we can get to the third thing. So he starts off, let's go through verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. And I think this is... uh, a very important part. Uh, Paul, you know, kind of this super apostle, wrote a majority of the New Testament. And he's saying, respect those who labor among you. And you're thinking, well, why does is, why is he specify among you? Well, there could have been this temptation, right? In the Thessalonian church, well, maybe Paul will come back. You know, maybe Paul will, will come back after he's done doing everything else, and maybe he'll lead us. Right? Maybe, maybe we, we can just gloss over all these leaders between now and the time when Paul gets back, because we know Paul, and he is the preeminent leader. But I think Paul is saying, no, respect those who labor among you. Don't, don't hold out for the idea that I'm going to come back or some super apostle is going to come back and lead you. No, respect those who labor among you. And you know, there's a, just a very clear application here for us. Um, I don't know if any of you have heard of the term uh, celebrity pastor, but it has become very prominent in the, the last several decades. Uh, and This idea of celebrity pastor is a pastor who, uh, through their ministry in some way, uh, gets outside of their church, whether that's uh, through uh, media, so television, radio, print media, and in some way escapes their church and isn't just delivering sermons on Sunday, but is is reaching people uh, across the state or the, the country or the globe. And uh, there's this tendency uh, to treat them almost as though uh, they were an actor in Hollywood. You know, they have, they have so much renown and favor. And to be honest, this isn't a new idea. This has been going on for a long time. If we look back to Charles Spurgeon, uh, you know, he had a congregation in the thousands, uh, you know, in a time when that was very rare and, and wrote prolifically 
You know, we, we even now can buy all of his sermons in a box set. Um, or if you think about someone like John Wesley, right? Someone who, you know, via horse, got out of his pulpit and, and uh, became widely renowned. Or even someone like uh, maybe a little more contemporary, Dwight Moody, you know, has the church down in Chicago, but ultimately is uh, in some way making or producing media that escapes his church and, and gets out into the broader context. And in a lot of ways, we could liken men like that to Paul. In some way, God has uh, blessed them or given them some sort of special ministry uh, that ultimately is supposed to. I'm not saying they shouldn't preach outside of their church or, or make material. It some way escapes their church, and that's good. Like We're excited about that. But ultimately, uh, leaves many churches uh, kind of in this position where, well, how, how do we get someone like Dwight Moody here? Or, or how do we get Charles Spurgeon into our pulpit? And, and Paul is saying, don't listen to that temptation of, of maybe you can get the next celebrity pastor to be in your pulpit. Respect those who labor among you. Don't wish for those who don't labor among you. So he goes on, and, and uh, oh, I forgot to mention one weird or strange thing if we read through verse 12. Paul never says the word leadership in this passage. So we're, we're looking at, I think all of us in our minds, when I say leadership, are saying, yeah, that, that makes complete sense. So what, uh, they labor among us. These are the three things in verse 12. They labor among us, they're over us in the Lord, and they admonish you. And uh, even though it might not say leadership, I think if we were to put all of those three things into one person, I think we would call that a leader. And so even though we might not have the word leader, that's, that's ultimately what we're talking about. So he goes on to talk about uh, the fact that they're over us in the Lord. And uh, this gets tricky, right? We're, we're Americans, and we're based on uh, being a country that rebelled against a monarchy, uh, and, and we're pretty satisfied in doing that, even today. Um, you know, I'm sure many of you have jokes about um, Britain and the king and getting out from under his thumb. Uh, and, and so when we hear that someone is over us, has, has authority over us, there's this deep desire embedded in our DNA to say, no, no, you're not over me. I, I'm a free human being, and I, I can do as I please. You know, we, we got rid of the king. Why do we have spiritual authorities over us? And, and ultimately, it says, and, and they're over you in the Lord. And I think when it says in the Lord, it gives us both um, in, in what way they're over us, but also... It gives us the appointment or, or who made them over us. Right, so in the Lord. They're over us in the Lord. Ultimately, my responsibility uh, as a pastor, as someone proclaiming the word of God, is not to give you my opinion. Right, ultimately, 
If we're you know, going back to the first couple of chapters of Thessalonians, Paul reminded the people, this isn't my word. You know, if it was my word, I wouldn't have told you, but I'm a messenger, and I'm trying to faithfully dispense the word of God to you. Right? And so the, the messenger, this person who is over them in the Lord, is over them specifically because the content that he delivers is such that uh, you could say, thus saith the Lord. And it, if someone were to say, I, had, I heard the voice of God, and if it was actually true, you would say, that's powerful and you should listen. And so when we, we hear the content of this messenger is in the Lord, it's, it's, it's a tantamount to saying, well, I've heard what God wants for me and for my life through his word. So you, you're going to listen. You know, going back to this numbers analogy, Moses is told, go get the people out of Egypt and bring them to my land. And as he's going through the wilderness and they're griping and moaning and complaining to him, Moses is going to God and he's saying, God, you've given me a word that's so difficult. Right? You're, you're giving me this word that has the people suffering through, through the wilderness, through this land. Um, you know, they want more, more diversity in food choice. They're complaining to me about it. This word is too hard for me. But ultimately, God sends them back and, and, and says, well, remind them it's not your word, it's my word, right? Remember the terrible things that happened to the people of Israel because of their griping and complaining, not against Moses, but ultimately against the living God, right? They thought they were complaining to a man, but they were actually complaining about what God had chosen for them, right? This, this message is in the Lord, the second thing is it shows the appointment, right? So who appoints uh, this man? He is in the Lord. And in a lot of ways, we're thinking, well, you know, we got together and we had a search committee and uh, ultimately we elected him uh, to be over us. But if you think back into that process, right, you're praying, you're committing yourself to fasting, you're, you're looking at the scripture, so you're, I didn't, when I was looking for a pastoral job, I was surprised, unpleasantly surprised, uh, when uh, a church listed its qualifications and didn't mention 1 Timothy 3. You know, if, if a church didn't list that, I probably didn't apply to it, because they're looking at God's word and they're saying, this, this, is, this has to be true of a man who is called of God. But ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, when the, the search process is done, you actually can say, so through prayer and fasting and considering God's word, that this man is actually called of the Lord. And so, as they stand before you, right? you used to be over them, you used to be the one uh, kind of vetting them and figuring out who they are, but all of a sudden you you pick them as a pastor and they're over you. And uh, there's a lot of tension and difficulty in that. And, and 
You know, the third thing we're about to mention is going to, I think, completely explain why that's difficult. Right? But they're over you in the Lord. They're, so that's both the content that they deliver. Right? They, they give you the word of the Lord, but they've also been appointed by the Lord. The third thing that he mentions about this leader is that he admonishes you. And if you hear the word admonish and you smile, you don't understand what the word means. Admonish is not a fun word. Um, and, and ultimately, uh, when you're told to go admonish someone, uh, that, that's something where you're like, do I really have to? Um, fathers, uh, fathers, mothers, you know this, right? Your kid does something stupid and you know you have to say something and you're like, oh. Do I really have to? I love my child. I don't want to have this difficult conversation. But this is why we have to understand the second thing. We have to understand that they're over us in the Lord. Um, As a Christian leader, uh, unfortunately, sometimes we have to admonish. And if it was about pleasing people, if it was about um, saving face or you know, if we brought it into the political realm, you know, think about baby kissing and public appearances and putting your best face forward. If it was about that, the pastor, the best pastors, the pastors that admonish would never, ever get into a pulpit because they're called to admonish people. They're called to a, a very difficult task. And if it was about pleasing people in their ears, the best pastors, the one who admonish, won't even get in the pulpit. And uh, part of this is, a, is about the task of the pastor and its difficulty. So practically speaking, I just want to ask you, give us some room to admonish you. Um, I realize it's not comfortable for you. I realize it's not comfortable for me. Uh, but I'm asking both for me, for Jim, for all, all of the elders, give us some room uh, to be able to tell you, maybe that's not the way God wants you living your life. Maybe God has something better for you. But if, if we can't admonish you, ultimately we can hardly uh, shepherd you and care about you and care about ultimately your eternal souls. If you go astray and then I admonish you and then I get fired because I admonished you, Ultimately, what good does that do for you? You know, I can go find another job. But you, you're the one who's actually in trouble. And so give us some room to admonish. He goes on in verse 13. So he's talked about this respect, the three things of respect. And now he goes on, uh, verse 13. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So not only are we supposed to respect, but we're supposed to esteem. And not just esteem, he adds the words very highly. I've been told that in the past, uh, the preacher uh, was one of the professionals in the village, right? And, And he had something to offer, an opinion that had some weight to it to offer. It hasn't been that way since I've been around, but I've been told, I don't know if I believe it, I've been told that 
the pastor had some sway over not just uh, you know, matters of, of faith, right, but over uh, a varied uh, opinions of people. And so what am I supposed to believe in life? Who am I supposed to become? Uh, you know, pastors had a lot more sway. And, and when Paul says, esteem them very highly, you know, it's interesting. Do we esteem our pastors? Yeah, maybe. Do we esteem them very highly? And I struggle with that question. Even, um, you know, I grew up in the church and, and have seen various situations of how pastors have been treated. And, and even thinking back personally, have I esteemed the pastor very highly? You know, I can remember uh, going home and, uh, and talking about a pastor's sermon and, and ultimately, well, you know, they could have done this different, could have done this better. Ultimately, by the time we get home, I've completely forgotten what he declared from the Word of God because I've been nitpicking with his sermon. Right? And is that esteeming a man very highly? Or is that essentially esteeming him alongside myself? He's my equal and I can essentially disregard his message because I have a better opinion. And, you know, I've, again... I've, I've been under pastors before. I'm indicting myself, but I know, I know it's a temptation that is not probably just with me, but it probably resonates with others. But don't esteem your pastor lightly, but esteem him highly. If he says something, you better figure out why he's saying it, as opposed to, well, you're just a pastor. You don't know what you're talking about. And he tells us why we're going to esteem them very highly. So let's skip over in love for a second. But it says, because of their work. I've worked in secular industry for all of my life up until this job. This is the first paid ministry position I've ever had. Um, up until now, I was working in coffee for seven years. I was a manager before I came here. Um, this is the most difficult job I have ever had, right? I, I was a manager over people, and, uh, you know, you, you put out a schedule and people complain. You tell them you, they have to enforce a price increase, people complain. It's not like being a manager is an easy job. But at the end of the day, you know, people could complain to me, and as long as coffee got sold and, and we made money, it didn't really matter how much they complained. But in the church, it's different. It's not about metrics like cash and, and, and overhead, but it's about human souls. And being a pastor is, is ultimately caring for the eternal souls of everyone who appears before you on a Sunday. And, and the soul is not like, uh, you know, selling coffee. You know, I'm not asking how much overhead does your soul have on it, right? Or if I make this schedule, will this soul show up? And, and uh, being a pastor is very difficult work. And, and uh, it's good work. It's why we do it. It's not, it's not about fame or renown, but it's about love of people. But it, it is very difficult. 
and so ultimately, the reason that we esteem our pastors highly is because they have, they have chosen to go about doing this, this very hard labor. You know, we look, and, and finally, how are we supposed to esteem them? So he, he tells us we're supposed to esteem our pastors in love. And I think, ultimately, that's why we sent Jim and Darcy and the kids on a sabbatical, right? Because, one, we realize that being a pastor is hard. And two, we love Jim and Darcy. And we, we realize that they needed to get a break. They needed to be refreshed. And, and ultimately, uh, they needed that sort of love from us. And my only caution, right, is it, it, love doesn't end after you do something nice for someone. This isn't a tit-for-tat sort of thing where, well, we loved you, and now we, we get to stop because we've loved you sufficiently, and now when you come back, we don't have to worry about this in-love section. So, right, as, as, as we reintroduce uh, Jim back into our body, we should be looking at this and remembering our love doesn't stop after he comes back from the sabbatical. Our love continues because he's still doing this hard work, this labor. And finally, uh, Paul tells us uh, what this is going to lead to. So be at peace among yourselves. And I, I think this is actually a pretty natural outcome. So think about a church, and maybe you've been in one, that doesn't respect their pastor and doesn't esteem him very highly. And naturally, you can think, well, that church is probably very chaotic because there's constantly backbiting. There's constantly quarreling and, and bickering. It's a very natural outcome. If you respect your pastor, if you esteem him very highly, ultimately there's going to be a peace and a unity. But if there's not, and I've, I've been in churches where people didn't respect the pastor, they didn't esteem him very highly. And most of our conversation about that church didn't center around who God wanted us to be or how he wanted to live a uh, how he wanted us to live more like Christ, but our conversations focused on uh, bickering about all the political issues in the church and, and essentially just degraded into, uh, you know, who's ultimately in power. You know, uh, obviously, you're looking at me, you're saying, wow, what an uncomfortable sermon. It is, guys. I understand that. And um, I want to remind you that, one, I love you. Two, the elders love you. And that we are constantly seeking for your good. And so as, as we're constantly seeking for your good, uh, you know, be responsive. You know, we, we, we actually do want to know what's going on in your life. And it's it's hard sometimes with 100 plus people uh, tracking everyone. 
But we actually do want to know what's going on. We want to be praying for you. We want to be uh, discipling and caring for you. And, and I, know, I know I'm speaking, but I know that this is not something that elders would disagree with. And so uh, this is not a message about quelling rebels. This is a message about we love you and we want the best for you. And uh, ultimately, if we work together, if we uh, continue to gather around God's word, that's something that's a real expectation. Thank you, Rocky. Yeah, thank you, Florence. <laughs> but if we think about you know, Moses in the wilderness, we don't want our, our church to be marked by the book of Numbers where people are constantly straying away from God's promises and, and saying, we had it so much better in Egypt. But we want to be a church that says, well, God has promised, right, ultimately, salvation in Christ Jesus. And what's that mean, right? So God has provided a way. We sinned against him. We sinned against other people. But instead of quelling rebels, instead of essentially burning us all up, God says, I love you. And he gives us Christ Jesus. And Christ dies for our rebellious actions and not his own. Christ lived a perfect life. Didn't have to come in the first place. He dies on the cross because he loves us and wants to take his, our sins upon him. And in believing in him, the guilt of those sins are removed, but even better, we get a new heart. A heart that desires better things. To live in ways that we did not live before. So before we used to, to sin against God, and we used to sin against our fellow man. And now our heart is tender, right? We sin against our friends. We sin against our neighbors. And, and I go home and I feel tender. My conscience is pricked because of what I've done. My need to ask for forgiveness, both from, from God, but also from my neighbor, has been just changed drastically. And so as we, as a community, live out this, this new life found in Christ, this, this life that's no longer under guilt, this life with a new heart that feels more, let's all go to the promised land together. Pray with me. Lord, you give us hard words. But you do not leave us with your hard words, but you ultimately enable us with the grace and the power through Jesus Christ to understand, love, and cherish the words that you give us. Lord, I just pray that if I have preached anything that's not according to your word, that it would not stand, but ultimately that at the end of the day, that your name would be made great, your people would love and cherish you more. Lord, we just pray all this in your name. Amen.